Good morning, everybody. Uh, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I, for one, was very thankful for the uh, guitar being back this week. So, <laughs> thank you. Not that it was bad having the uh, all of us singing, but it does make it better with the guitar. Today's word is uh, Malachi two seventeen through Malachi three verse five. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, how have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, for where is the God of justice? Chapter 3, behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of covenant, of the covenant in whom you delight, Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress, who oppress the wage earner in his wages and the widow and the orphan and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. A word of prayer before we get started. Our Father who is in heaven, we seek to hallow your name, to see your name as holy, to exposit this word, look at this scripture and glorify you in doing so, God, this word that has been given to us through your prophet Malachi. We please keep our hearts humble, uh, keep our minds open to hear you speak, God. Please don't let us impose ourselves on the text, but let the text Tell us what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is, some of you might wonder why, for example, or is, does this, this encompass uh, seven, uh, 2.17 through 3.5? Why did we start at 2.17? It's funny, if you read enough, uh, if you look at the book of Malachi, you read enough commentaries on the book of Malachi, they can say you can pretty much throw out the chapter verses, you know, don't let those guide you. In this particular book, you will be able to see the pericopes, those uh, those sections of scripture that go together in 17 to 17 clearly. And hopefully I'll be able to show it to you clearly goes uh, uh, starts at 217 and goes through three five is where we're at. So a couple thoughts uh, before we really dive into this. And maybe you haven't given it much thought. I, I know I hadn't given it much thought during the week about these books of the prophet, prophets. The prophecies that are in here. We sometimes tend to, because we do so much focus on the New Testament, because the New Testament tells us about Jesus, and we hear the words that are given in the epistles and the letters of the New Testament, you know, that 
that Paul would write down this letter and he sent it to this church. And we kind of uh, enforce that or encode the Old Testament books and the prophets in the same way. We look at the book of Malachi and we say, oh, this prophet, he wrote down this letter and he sent it to these people. No, that's not the way it happened. What we see is that the prophet Malachi has confronted the people that the word gave, uh, that the Lord gave the word to. In other words, he confronted the priests. He proclaimed God's word to the priests. And then it was written down for the edification of the saints, for those who would believe. In other words, this word came to Malachi and he gave the word to the priests. He said, this is what God, God is saying about what you're doing. He proclaimed it verbally to them. He confronted them verbally to them. He didn't write a letter to them. And then those words that God gave to them, he recorded those words. And they are given for us. So that means... Remember, not written directly to us. That means that the words we're looking at here were the words that were proclaimed to priests that weren't doing a good job. And the words are recorded here because they're important for us to hear these words. And they should uplift us. In this particular section of the scripture, we should be uplifted when we read through it. We look to how we've landed here through two full chapters of Basically, God lambasting the priests for what they are doing incorrectly, for not following the ordinances, for being disobedient, for accepting poor offerings from the, uh, from the, from the people. Uh, and because they're accepting poor offerings from the people, the people think it's okay. God doesn't care. Remember, we go back to the prayer I just made. I don't know why this has been sticking in my, in my mind, but the, but the, the, the prayer model that, the, that Jesus gave, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, your name made holy, even more holy than we could possibly imagine, that your name is holy. But they're not doing that to God here. What they're doing is they're, they're taking God's name as whatever. We're going to see in here, do, do you even see what's going on, God? Do you even care what's going on? We don't even think you're even there, God. We All sorts of things that are just poor that aren't hallowing God's name. That aren't seeing God as, uh, as the ultimate judge, as the creator of the universe, as the one who gave life to everything. Right? They're not seeing that. And as a result, John Weathersby preached the other week, they have dung on their faces, refuse on their faces. This is the look that they have. Look at how foolish you look. This is going to be on your faces because this is how foolish you are. Judgment is looming. We see that throughout this book of, of Malachi. The judgment is looming on them. Get your act together. Straighten up. Fly right. You know what the, rule, what the requirements are for me, your God. And you're not doing them. That heavy hand of judgment of the Lord is looming. And we hear those words, right? We, hear, we, 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 we clearly see them. I mean, it's just not a friendly letter. It isn't, hey, you're doing a great job. It certainly isn't like if we were to go in the New Testament, it certainly isn't like the book of Ephesians that is just uplifting from one end to the other. right? I mean, this is just weighty stuff, just absolutely pressing on these priests that Malachi gives those. And so we can see this as, uh, we, we, can, we can just see this and only see the judgment in the letter. We can see this as some sort of, or this, excuse me, this prophecy, we can see it as, 
as some sort of a, 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 a moralizing of something. You just got to do better. You've got to be better. You've got to work your way into something. But that's not what the book is about. Remember, after the word of the Lord would be proclaimed to these priests, after the word of the Lord, the prophecy against them would be proclaimed, and this is written down, God will be silent for 450 plus years. Now this isn't in my notes, but, let, but it just, uh, you know, just making a connection here, think about this for a second in verse 17 where he says, you have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, and we're going to come back to this and talk about the wearied, uh, how have we wearied you? And you say that everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. And where is the God of justice? For 450 years, they're going to be, where is God? Not a word is coming. Not a, not a nasty word or a word to, to, to you've, got to, you've got to look at what I've given you. You've got to follow these things. Nothing. It's going to be pure silence. And so we have to think about that. You know, but there's so so much there, there's so much more that is trying to be conveyed. The the priests are are being told where they're failing in their duties as God's representatives. They're told that judgment is looming because of what is what they're doing or what they're not doing, depending on how you look at that. But here's the key that we might miss: God is speaking to them. He hasn't left them in the state where they're at. He has taken an active role in telling them what the problem is. God hasn't looked from on the throne, seen that they're doing things badly, and then been silent. God cares enough that He talks to them and tells them what the issue is. You wonder why your offerings are accepted? I'm going to tell you this is why. And He tells them. This prophecy, although we could read it, is not punitive in nature, especially for us when we hear it although it is a warning, but it is about a God who redeems people. A God who takes the, the sinful, the wicked, the dirty, the nasty, and redeems it to be His. He redeems those people. This is specifically here as part of the prophecy about a sovereign God who saves a sovereign God who redeems those people, a sovereign God who pursues the people even though they run away, a sovereign God who keeps the covenant that He has established with unfaithful people. He is a God who will and does redeem. So we have this weary God in verse 17. It says, You have wearied the Lord. You have tested the Lord's endurance. You have tested those things that the righteous and holy Father in heaven, the omnipotent, omnipresent God, that you've, you've tested Him to the point that, that, that the idea here is that I, I can't do anything more. This is just, you, you people are ridiculous. How can you possibly keep doing these things when you've been warned so many times? They are putting... God to the limit, although we know that God has no, he's, he's limitless in his ability, ability to endure. But how many times have they sought other gods? How many times have they gone astray? How many times has the Lord brought them back? 
even as they still turn away from Him. How many times has He rescued them? How many times have we seen in the book of Judges as they keep spiraling downward and downward and downward, yet they are redeemed one more time? We see it with the sons of Eli. We see it consistently that they're brought back. We see it again. I can't. I don't know why I'm mentioning Manasseh so much, but even he who, who he passes his, his children through the fire, he sacrifices them to the gods of Baal. Right? Uh, I mean, even he he repents and is redeemed. We see this constantly throughout this scripture. You have wearied the Lord with your words. It says here. And when we think about how many times that the Lord has brought them back, has brought them back from the brink, right? Has 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 uh, has maintained that the seed of His, the seed of the final redemption through Jesus, will be maintained. How many times He has done this? You can see why the term is used. You have wearied. You're you're exasperating me by your behavior. It's just like the child that keeps asking question after question after question after question. You just get tired of answering. I mean, it's clear. You're not listening. No wonder God is weary that His patience is tested. That after all these things that God has done, they, they say here, how have we wearied you? And God says, everyone who does evil, you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and He delights in them. And where is the God of justice? He's he, he's saying that because of your actions, this is what you're saying about me. Isaiah 5.20 is the one that tells us that. Let's, go, let's turn there. I'm not sure if it's on the screen or not. Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We'll just continue because it says so there, verse 21, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. I mean, they're, by their behavior, he says, how, God says, they say, how have we wearied you, Lord? How have we wearied you? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? In other words, look, there's all these things that are happening out here that are bad, and you're not even punishing them. You're not doing anything about it, Lord. They are certainly, uh, uh, they have what uh, we, would, we would term, as, as my grandparents would say, the gall, the nerve to say such things. They know that sometimes that the, the Lord's patience they should know is so long, that the patience is so long over, over countless dozens, decades, centuries, millennia, before God's justice will be mated out. They should know. They come from a nation that was in slavery for 400 plus years until they were rescued. They should know that God doesn't act on the whims of people. God is sovereign in His plan. But He is a God that redeems. He is a God that saves. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, and then we're going to Go to verse 8 too. Deuteronomy 7, 7, and then verse 8. Now we want to think about the, the people that he's talking to, the nation of Israel, right? Now we have where the, 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 dysphoria is, uh, the, uh, the dysphoria is occurring right now that the Jews are becoming scattered away from Jerusalem. 
right? The temple is being rebuilt. We're about 25 years after the start of the rebuilding of the temple. You know, Ezra and Nehemiah, that we see that in there. Uh, this is in, in Jerusalem. But they have to remember uh, that God, well, let's let God's word speak for us. Deuteronomy 7, 7. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. They were the least of the peoples that God has chosen them from. They need to remember that this is the, this is the status. They don't, nothing that they have gotten is because they deserved it. For us, it's the same way. Nothing that we have gotten is because we deserve this, because God has chosen to bless us with those things. In verse 8, it says, But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. How could you say these things that, that I, uh, I, I say that evil is good, or, or that I delight in the evil that men do, or that I am not, I don't provide any justice when I have clearly done these things? I have redeemed you as a nation. Not only in this big event that has occurred there in Exodus, but also consistently when you have wandered away, I have brought you back and redeemed you. Yahweh, the Lord, will keep the covenant. They shouldn't be saying things like this. He is the one who will save the sinner. He is the one who will bring the lost sheep back. He is, the Lord is the Redeemer. And he's going to say it here in verse in chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. God has spelled out the problems in the last in the previous two chapters, the issues that are happening there. But but know for certain that a messenger I will send. This messenger, this is also the name of Malachi. Malachi is messenger in, in Hebrew. This messenger is coming, is going to clear the way before me. The one that is going to make the path straight before me. The one that will be the voice crying in the wilderness before me. The one that will point to the coming, my coming, and eventually into my temple. You see, in the ancient times, when the king would come to the farthest reaches of his, uh, of his kingdom, when he would come to those towns, they would make straight the ways for the king, for the emperor. They would smooth out the roadways. They would, they would tear hills down to make sure that no enemies can approach, that the, that the pathway was smooth, that it was not rocky, that it was not bumpy, that everything was made so that the king could arrive. And he says right there, Behold, I am sending, I am going to send my messenger. My messenger is coming. Now, let's take us back to the beginning of this message. Remember, this is proclaimed to the priests who are missing the mark in their behavior. And then it was written down so that the people could unroll the scroll and read this again and again and again and again and again. So when we're in 400 years worth of, 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 of God not speaking to us, I can open up the scroll and I can look at verse 3, 1 and say, Behold, the Lord says, I'm sending a messenger, and he will clear the way before me. So I need to watch for this messenger that's coming.
Look at Isaiah 40, verse 3. Isaiah 40, verse 3. 40, verse 1 says, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. They should find comfort in the, the words that we have here in Malachi. Very similar to what we find in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. To some degree, repeating what was said in Isaiah, or similar to what was said in Isaiah, the illusions are clear. This way of the Lord coming, this way that is happening here, where he says, make clear the way before me, we cannot miss the fact that this way has been established since before the, the foundations of the earth. That this way of this coming of the Lord has happened before time began. That the foundations of this roadway are on the most solid bedrock that there is. That this roadway of the Lord coming is cannot be varied. It cannot be changed. There are no exits on the pathway. It doesn't go around things. It is a straight and a clear line for what the Lord is doing. There are no potholes. There's no toll booths. This is a straight way of the Lord coming. He's saying, I am coming. Make way the way. This person is, this message is going to is clear the way for me to make it clear when it happens. And the Lord whom you seek in verse 3, continuing, will suddenly come into his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. The preparations are being made here. The temple is part of the destination with the cross looming in the background. This is messianic in nature. It will start with the everlasting priest, the, the only true priest. Jesus, prophet, priest, and king. Go to John chapter 2, verses 13. John chapter 2, verse 13. We see that this is the first when he comes to his temple, when the Lord comes to his temple. John the Baptist had made the way clear. He was the voice crying in the wilderness that said, make way for the Lord. One is coming that I'm not fit to tie the thongs of his sandals, right? And then we see Jesus suddenly appears in his temple and on the Passover, verse 13, on the Passover of the Jews. The Passover of the Jews was near and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and money changers seated at their tables. In verse 15, I skipped down, he has there, he says, and he made a scourge of cords and drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. 
stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Verse 19, Jesus answered him, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Jesus said it took 46 years to build the temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he, what, that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. So when we look at verse 3, 1 of Malachi, we see that this is, the way is set clear, the way to the temple is clear, he will show up in the temple, he will come suddenly, the messenger of the covenant, Jesus, the messenger of the new covenant, the only son of God, the second part of the, of the Godhead, right? And it says those curious words in, in whom you will delight. Now, this is strange because they haven't been delighting in anything, these priests, so far. They've been accepting poor offering. They've been accepting poor worship. They haven't been heart right. They haven't been heart right. It says there, and said, the Lord whom you seek, it doesn't seem like they're seeking the Lord. Maybe they say it only, name only. Uh, will come to the temple, and the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight, behold, behold, he is coming. Behold, he is coming. So it's a strange passage there. Uh, strange in the way it talks about that, considering the way he talked about the, 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 the priest before. Except when we remember that this was proclaimed to the priest verbally, then written down for all. Proclaimed to the priest verbally, then written down for all to hear and find hope within that about a redemptive God that is there. They expected good news when they look at the covenant, what God has promised, the whole way back to Genesis 3.15. They expected good news, but their unrepentant hearts are going to cause, a, cause an issue, a, a disconnect uh, between God and them. He said this, beware, He's coming, right? I am a God that redeems. The, the way is there. And you say this is the thing you're looking for, but you better watch out too. Because that thing you're asking for, as He says in verse 2, says this, when He comes, it says, but who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? Verse 2. For He is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. And we look at those pictures, what are they What are they? Like, like, probably easier the refiner were melting the metal in the, in the impurities come to the top and they'll take, uh, depending on your time period that you're in, you'll take a stick or a metal object and you'll scrape those impurities off the top. You're changing the metal into something. It was in a solid form and now you're applying so much heat to it, thousands of degrees to it, to change it into liquid and those impurities are coming up to the top. Look at what he's saying. He's saying, you say that you're going to delight in this thing, that you delight and you long for this day, but I'm warning you. When He comes, who can endure? Who can endure on their own two legs? Well, nobody can. On their own ability. He says, He is coming, and who can stand when He appears? When my messenger comes? When the one that John the Baptist will clear the way for? Who can stand can't help but think of that in the garden. Think about this, when, the, when they came to arrest Jesus, this is a little off topic. 
And they said, they, the question goes, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus. And Jesus says, I am he. And what happens? You have a thousand men that hit their knees. They came to arrest him. Swords, clubs. And they hit their knees at the proclamation of his name. Who can stand? He is like a refiner's fire in, a full, in the fuller's soap, or the alkali of the fuller's soap. So we have this idea that, that the metal is being melted and the, and, the, and the impurities are coming off to the top. If you go down to Doug's jewelry shop, he'll show you exactly what that looks like. He can melt some stuff there, he'll show you what that looks like. And you can see the impurities on the top. So that when they're scraped off, all you see is that deep, pure, shining silver or gold that is there with no impurities. And then the fuller soap, so this is a little bit distant from us in this day and age. But the fuller was the man who prepared the cloth. The cloth was beaten down to make it thick, to get the fibers to bind together. And then the fuller soap or the alkali was applied to bleach it white and to take away all the dirt in the saints. And that, uh, that, fuller's, uh, that fuller soap, lye, as some of you will know it uh, there, it will burn you. There is nothing nice about lye. There's nothing nice about the alkali that they would use for this. These are two very painful processes. You're not going to be able, when this Lord comes, when this messenger comes, you're not going to be able to stand before Him. When this one comes as the judge, you won't be able to stand. Don't stand there before me and do everything that you've done before with the poor offerings, with the refuse on your face, and think that you're going to be able to stand in this day on your own two legs. This thing that you say you look for, and yes, it is going to be a great day when I fulfill my covenant with my people. It is going to be a great and awesome thing. But be warned. The ground which you're standing on is not so solid. You must repent. You must repent and believe. As 1 Corinthians 10.12 tells us, you know, be careful when you think you stand because you may fall we can look at that 1 Corinthians 10 3 did I say 10 3? that is wrong 1 Corinthians 10 12 excuse me therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall take heed examine yourself closely they should be examining themselves closely here. It is clear that none will be able to stand on their own when this messenger comes into his temple. God will be needed to, God will be the only one who will be able to redeem them. To redeem the faulty, the broken, the dirty, the sinful. Verse 3, He will sit as a smelter and a purifier of silver. You can even see this image of the fire going, the blazing furnace. You can see the metal almost bubbling in there and just pulling off the impurities off the top, scraping them off the top and just throwing, casting them aside and scraping more off and casting them aside until it's pure. We bring in that prayer, you know, uh, our Father right in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, this is that we, we see that image there. Make your name holy, God. Allow, allow us the ability to make your name holy. Allow us to glorify you properly. We must be refined for ourselves sitting here today. 
that sanctification process that we're seeing here. And we can't do it on our own. We, God Himself needs to do it. Through Jesus, it will be that we will become more and more sanctified. It says there, but He's going to sit there. Be wary if you think you can endure this day because He's going to sit before there until His work is done. And the danger for the priests who heard this the first time is Deuteronomy chapter 33, 9 and 10. They know better. Deuteronomy 33, 9 and 10. Deuteronomy 33, 9 and 10. So this is of Levi. Remember, excuse me, I apologize. I should continue there. He said, he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. I want to finish out that so we get here. I jumped ahead. I apologize for that. 33.9, and this is uh, Deuteronomy 33.9. This is about Levi, the, 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 uh, the sons of Levi, the ones who will be the priests. It says, who said to his mother and father, I did not consider them. And he did not acknowledge his brothers, nor did he regard his own sons, for they observed your word and they kept your covenant. This is the sons of Levi. They shall teach your ordinances to Jacob and your law to Israel. They shall put incense before you, that's put before the Lord, before Yahweh, before God our Father, and whole burnt offerings on your altar. That's what they're supposed to do. But they're not doing it right. He said there, he said, He's going to sit there and he's going to refine and purify these people. He will make those sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And it's not going to be pleasant because we don't see anything pleasant about the heat being applied to take away all that impurity that is there, that is in them, so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Verse 4, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. Man, we could look at this and say, this is somewhat confusing. I just don't know what's going on here. He's talking about, there's, it seems like he's talking about things that will happen right away. It seems like he's talking about things that will happen far away. And we see that. I mean, it, it, it is truly that, it is truly, it's kind of in multiple levels that he's looking at here. There has been the warnings of, uh, in the previous two chapters of get your act together. You're my representatives. The people look to you for the knowledge. The people look to you so you tell them about me. And you're not doing it. That's why you have the refuse on your face, the dung on your faces, because you're not doing it. And, and I'm telling you, those things of the covenant, of the promises, of how I was going to do this thing, we look back the whole way back to Genesis 3, uh, 3, 3.15, 3.16. We look the whole way back there, right? He said, yeah, I'm going to do that thing. That thing is going to happen. I'm going to be the one that is going to bring about the covenant. It is going to be, it is going to happen just the way I've laid the foundations for it to happen. So don't sit here like you were in 17, verse 17, and say, you say, every, no, I'm not a God of justice, that I'm not looking to see what he, who's doing evil things. Where is the Lord? Don't say that because I am right where I've always been, right on the throne. And I'm sending a messenger. And don't think that you can stand before this messenger in the manner which you're at now because you need to be refined and purified, sanctified and made holy. Because this messenger, who will be my son, is the great purifier, the great fuller. 
He will apply the heat. He will apply the lie. He will cleanse those through His own blood, right? This is the one they're talking about. This is a call for these, these, these priests to repent and to turn away. And in turn, when the people would read this, they should find hope in, these mess- in this message. Yes, the Lord is coming. He is sending a messenger. The, 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 the offering of Judah and Jerusalem not only would be pleasing, but it will be accepted. That we will be restored and redeemed. But this messenger is coming is so much greater than they can even imagine. You know, they're looking on a little myopic scale. They're looking at the nation of Israel itself. A a single pinpoint of the nation of Israel. God is looking on a a great giant scale. He's looking because He's going to redeem from all nations and all colors and all creeds is what He's going to redeem from. But they won't see that yet. That road that is, uh, they see it as God the Father will redeem the nation of Israel. But what God is doing is He is redeeming all those who are found in Him. He will take the, the filthy and the dirty and the sinful and He will redeem those that are found in Him. Because God is the Redeemer. In verse 5 it says there, Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against sorcerers and against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the wage earner and his wages, the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. It's a litany list of those things that they're not supposed to do that we find back in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. In parts of Exodus. He said, when I, when I draw near to you for judgment, so now we're looking way in the future on, on the judgment day that none will be able to stand at the judgment time. All will be judged. And he says there, I will draw near to you for judgment and you won't be able to stand. Those who practice these things won't be able to stand. Those who are not found in me won't be able to stand on those days. And we see in Ezekiel 22, verse 18, not a book that we go to a lot, Ezekiel 22, verse 18, we see the exact, remember how he said this, he said that the, that, that the refiner's fire will, will purify these people. Now look at this is just on the opposite level of what it says here in Ezekiel 22, starting in verse 18. He says these words, Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. In other words, the impurities that are on the top. All of them are bronze and tin and iron and lead in the furnace. They are the dross of silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because all of you have become dross, therefore, behold, I'm going to gather you into the midst of Jerusalem. And they gather, as they gather silver and bronze and iron and lead and tin into the furnace to blow fire on it in order to melt it, so I will gather you in my anger and in my wrath and I will lay you there and melt you. I will gather you and blow on you with the fire of my wrath. You will be melted in the midst of it. As silver is melted in the furnace, so you will be melted in the midst of it. And you will know that I, the Lord, have poured out my wrath on you. Notice how it's entirely different. In one, we had this purifying message. But when he gets down to verse 5, and I use that Ezekiel passage to show there, there is judgment that is surely coming to the unrepentant. We've had a message of repent, 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 repent up until this point for these priests. 
Repent, repent, repent. Turn away from your, your previous ways. Turn back to me. Ask for me to cure that heart of yours that's horrible, that's wicked, that says there is no God, or says that there is no God of justice, that God doesn't even care about us, when you know that it's far from the truth. Because when God's wrath comes against these people, it will be a fearful and terrible day for those that are not found in Him. Those that are not found in the Lord. That He will be a swift witness and none will be able to stand. Now you see, we could go, we could talk about how the fact that they don't know Jesus yet, right? They don't know Jesus, the, the Jesus that is coming. But they do know that a messenger is coming to his temple. We know in Peter's epistles where Peter says that the patriarchs and the prophets longed to know. Longed. Longed to know when and where he would come. When this messenger would come. The two messengers. The messenger of John clearing the way and then the messenger who is Christ himself who comes into the temple. It certainly wasn't missed on the day there's a certain number of people on that day when Jesus shows up in the temple and with the zeal for his father's house and he clears it out that they that people knew exactly what this was. That people knew exactly this was the prophecy from Malachi. That they knew exactly this was the one showing up in the temple. The one that was coming. The one on that roadway that had been laid before the foundations of the earth. Remember, Jesus is always on the way to the cross. From the moment, from before the incarnation, Jesus is on the way to the cross unvaried and, and, and unchanging and unmoving and unturning. Always on the way to the cross. Right? And they know in this Malachi passage in 3.1 where he says, I'm sending him, he'll suddenly show up in the temple that that, when they drew that conclusion right there, after 400 plus years of silence, that this thing happens. Hold it, there was that guy John. Wasn't he saying in the wilderness that there's one coming? You know there's people that knew this that were drawing the parallels that could see it that had heard the scroll of Malachi read, even Pharisees in that temple itself that were drawing those connections, that were putting it together after 400 years of silence. God didn't tell us how long He was going to be silenced. He only told us that we were to remain faithful. He said that I'm coming and it's going to come suddenly. And hold it, here it is. That guy was calling out there in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. I heard that somewhere in, in our Testament. And this guy who shows up in the temple, not only is he driving the people out, but they're not even resisting to him. Is this, is this the thing from Malachi? And what well, it is. Clearly pointing out to them that this is, this is the prophecy. That the people that would have read this shortly thereafter would have, would have said, yeah, I get it. This is... The Lord is still active. The Lord is always active. The Lord is sovereign over all these things. He will do the things in His time frame. He will do things that glorify His name in the way that He does that. Yeah, there's warnings in here. Just remember, this isn't going to be an easy process. There's going to be some pain that's going to be involved in this because we're far away from God. There's going to be that refining process that happens. Uh, that, 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 that the impurities are taken away as much as they can be here, that, that, that constant sanctification. And then when the Messiah comes, when He shows up in the temple, it's going to be amazing. That's why this passage speaks to us. We, like the pre we are like the priests with the improper offerings. See, that's the danger. We read, these, we read the Scripture and we don't see ourselves. We say, at least I'm not like that. 
But we're just like the priests that bring the improper offerings. Or accept, I should say, accept the improper offerings. We're like the people that bring the lame offerings or the blind offerings that don't bring our best. We are the ones that have the hearts that are turned away from God. We are the ones that have the dung on our faces because of what we've done. That's our state. That's our state without Jesus. We say that we love God, but does anybody really see it? We are the ones that are also stuck in our sinful and worldly ways. But God. But God. Those conjunctions in the Bible. But God. Way back here, he's, he's pointing to it. I'm going to send my messenger into the temple. But God. You, you are like this. Remember he says in 17, here's our connection. Uh, he says, everyone who do, you say that everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Where's the God of the justice? And then he says, behold, I am sending my messenger into my temple. I am sending this one who will refine and purify like the fuller and beat, beat the cloth to make it white and clean it like it's white and take the silver and the gold and make it pure. But God, He's the one who redeems. He's the one who makes us sons and daughters of the Most, uh, most High God. Back in Exodus 4.22, right? You don't even need to turn now. I'll just go there very quickly. 4.22. What does it say? I mean, it's just such a fascinating passage. It says this. The Lord... Well, we start in 21. The Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your, your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. 22. Then you will say to Pharaoh... Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. And guess what? That little passage that they see in the, that the Israelites see in Malachi, that it's just we're, they're thinking their nation. Oh, it's so much greater than that. We know that because First John one, First uh, John, excuse me, John chapter one, verses twelve and thirteen. John chapter one, verses twelve and thirteen says this. But as many as received Him, that's Jesus, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But God does this thing. He does this great thing to make us all children of God. He refines us through Jesus so that we will be seen as righteous and holy before Him. Through Jesus. Not of our own works, because our own works are but filthy rags. The salvation had to come from outside of us, which is why it came through the incarnate Christ. Then in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5-8, through it says these words, as we come to a close. Ephesians 1, verses 5-8. through He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in His beloved, in whom, in Him we have redemption, because God redeems, through His blood. It is the blood that purifies us. It is the blood that acts as the fuller's soap. It is the blood that acts as the refiner's fire. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. 
which He lavished on us, that He gave to us to a degree that we are unworthy of. To such a great degree that we will spend an eternity glorifying God because of the redemption that He gave to us. Because we will not be able to plumb the depths of the redemption that He gave to us. That redemption that the angels long to look at and understand. That He lavished on us as sons and daughters of the Most High God. So I want you to leave and remember that God is a Redeemer. Through His grace, we are redeemed through the blood of His Son. Through the life that Christ lived. That He redeems, not of our works, but of His works. That we can joyfully serve the Lord. We can joyfully come to church and sing songs, even if they're out of key. And it's okay. We can joyfully see our Savior. That we can joyfully read Malachi and say, yep, I'm just like those priests that were doing it badly. But I also know that my my Redeemer lives. That my Redeemer never stops. That my Redeemer is sitting on the throne praying for me, interceding for me right now. That I can trust in the Lord that not only is He a just God, but that He is a gracious God that has gracefully given me salvation when I didn't deserve it. Let's pray. Jesus, we we look to You, we look to understand what was done at the cross, what was done through your life, what was done through the empty tomb, what was done in, in the resurrection, we, we can only understand to a degree that, that God allows us, that the Father allows us to understand. We, we, we hope that we gain more and more of an understanding of that, of the greatness of the things that have been done by God through the Son, through the Spirit. We would ask that you continue to sanctify us in that truth in John seventeen seventeen through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You would stand and sing with us.